Well, hey there, and welcome to Live It Out, a podcast here at Centenary Church in Lexington, Kentucky, about faith and the 21st century. What does it mean to live as followers of Christ in a post-Christian society today? Each week, we're going to have the amazing opportunity to talk with people across the globe who are committed to walking through this life with Jesus and hear their thoughts and experiences of the Christian life in an ever-changing and hurting world. We hope that this encourages you and helps you in any way. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Welcome to Live It Out. I'm James Williams, lead pastor of Centenary Church, and each week we talk with some amazing Christian leaders around the world. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to review the podcast and subscribe so we can let you know about upcoming episodes. And today, I'm so excited to have as this week's guest, Bishop Leonard Fairley. He's the resident bishop of the Kentucky Annual Conference. Bishop Fairley was elected in 2016, and before that, he had served as pastor pastor in the North Carolina Annual Conference since 1984. He also served as a district superintendent. He's a graduate of Pfeiffer College and Duke University School of Divinity, and he's also participated on mission work teams in Costa Rica, Jamaica, Zimbabwe, Haiti, Honduras, all types of places, including the Appalachian Service Project. And uh, also what a lot of folks may not know about him is he's also published a book of poetry called Who Shall Hear My Voice? And he was a contributing writer of the book, The Day the Earth Moved Haiti. And we're so excited to have him today on Live It Out. Bishop Fairley, welcome. Oh, thank you, James. It's good to be here with you. It's always good to hear your voice, Bishop. I know that you have been very busy uh, attending to your duties around the annual conference and especially with the recent disaster in Western Kentucky. So we're just so glad that you would take a few minutes to be with us today. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. You know, one of the ways, Bishop, I've been so impressed with you is how you, in spite of different ideas and different theological stances that we're surrounded by and that you're surrounded by as a denominational leader um, is that you have a real gift of loving people through those differences and really extending love and grace in authentic ways. Where, where do you think that comes from for you? Well, James, first of all, I, do, I, I think it really came from my, from my grandma who early on in my life sort of took me under her wings and taught me the stories of Jesus. And and I guess that I would say that if it was anything, it came from her uh, long before I ever went to divinity school, long before I ever answered this call. She always had this habit of reminding me of who I was uh, and whose I was mm-hmm. and reminded me about the love that Christ has for all people uh, and so of different um uh, ideals, different persuasions, but always kept me grounded and rooted in Christ. Uh, and I think that's where that comes from. Uh, well, absolutely. People, yeah. yeah I'm uh, sorry. Loving people, believing in the power of Christ's ability to transform them. Yes. And you, you do, you exhibit that so well. And I'm glad you mentioned your grandmother, um, your younger years growing up in North Carolina were not easy. Am I correct that you're one of 10 children? Nine. Nine children. Yeah, five boys and four girls. 
Yes, and you were raised by a single mother. Yes. And and I think in order to survive, you had to learn the art of negotiation and compromise. Would that be accurate? <laughs> sure did. And, James, that all began with my brothers and sisters. Uh, I can remember uh, how that worked out even being at the same table. All of us were totally different. Uh, but uh, we uh, loved each other. Uh, it's almost as it was like you probably heard this before, like you grow up a big family like that. You can fuss and argue with each other, but you always had each other's back and you always loved each other no matter what. You always came back to that, uh, even when they did things that were not so pleasant or like I said, we're all unique. And so I guess learning that skill with uh, eight other siblings was 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 necessary. Absolutely. And I've had the pleasure of actually working very closely with you in the annual conference. And I've seen how you do that so well, um, being a bishop and being in that role. There are many times that you have to take a, take a hard stand uh, somewhere or the other. And uh, you always do it with great love and great mercy, and, and I appreciate that so much. You know, we've entered into a time, and I, as I told you, I wanted to talk a little bit about this today. We're at a time in society right now where it's almost sport to disagree and highlight our differences. Where, where do you think that's coming from? You know, James, I do think it comes from the fact, again, as I talked about my grandmother, I think it depends on where you're centered. Uh, in Scripture, it says that you could be in the world but not of the world. You have to be centered uh, in in Christ. I think that's where it mainly begins. And for you to be centered in Christ, you have to open your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit uh, to him. I mean, Jesus did the great Shema every day he was alive. He, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Then Jesus comes right behind it and says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. But none of that happens unless you are centered in Christ, unless you are find renewal and transformation in him. We use the word transformation an awful lot. Uh, but I don't know sometimes if we really believe that, you know, that in Christ Jesus, we can be transformed. And in that transformation, there is a deep-seated grace. Because you tell yourself, and you've heard this before, but by the grace of God, there I would be also. And so you root yourself in that grace. You know, none of this has ever been about you. It's been about God's provenient grace that went before you. It's been about God's uh, Christ's justifying grace that justified you. And it's about that continual walk in sanctifying grace. And all of it, absolutely every bit of it, is a gift from God. So if I receive that as a gift from God, then I must also give it. Uh, I also should share that grace because it was shared with me. And so I'm only sharing uh, with the world and with others, what God has in turn shared with all of us uh, by giving us Jesus Christ in the beginning. I mean, we're right here in the season of Advent, right here at Christmas, and it's a gift. 
It absolutely is a gift. And you said something that really um, hits hits my heart pretty squarely. I've been having conversations with folks in the past several months. And as we talk about all of the ways that we see things differently in the church, one of the things that I keep trying to circle back around to with both uh, some of my clergy friends and folks who are in the local church is that um, what we agree on is is pretty powerful. It and, is. Yeah, and you, and you really uh, have highlighted that in talking about Advent because we're going to celebrate in just a few days that uh, baby that came into the world. I like to, to quote um, Phillips Brooks Bishop where he says that it was the day that God walked down the staircase of heaven with a baby in his arms. Oh, yeah. oh uh, man, that's yeah, I love that image. But you, uh, you're, you're, you're telling us that we have some solutions here that we can really use to to focus on to love, to really love one another because we agree on a whole lot of things, and it really is about making disciples and seeing folks transformed by the power of Christ. And over the years, you have you've really served many areas of ministry. I, ha- I wish I had the time today to to really just kind of go down the list of ways uh, you've served. It's amazing. And God really has given you the ability to speak into some difficult situations in the church, even as a part of our council of bishops, as a bishop in a in a in a conference. And bishop, I'm interested in some of the ways that we are Christ followers can stay the course and not be wooed by this culture of adversity right now. Yes. And James, it's it's a must in the word today that, that we do that. Exactly what you say. Uh, because there's so much division, so much polarization, and we have to come to grips with the only thing that could help that is our life together with Christ. Because it's Christ who teaches us how to be in relationship with each other. It's one of the things I always try to help pastors to understand that the major part of your job, and I don't like to say job because it's a calling, it's to be in relationship. There's something about uh, being in relationship with another uh, that that also uh, drives and helps you to understand and to be able to talk with people and to share with people because you built those relationships with them. It's no wonder that Christ shared most of his most important lessons around table when he's sitting at the table with people or reclining at the table with people and having these deep conversations. He shared this good news in ways that people could understand it. Uh, he, he, He never let them off the hook. But he shared these parables with them to where they could understand what he was what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I just feel like a lot of what we're going through with, if we were, if we could find ourselves, if we could find our center. And for me, that center has always and will always be Christ. And if I could live my life Christ-like. And that means being in relationship with everybody. Uh, we might not see things eye to eye, but it doesn't. I don't have the option of not being in relationship with you. I don't have that option. That's that's yeah. 
the fact that we don't have that option. And we look for that option, I think, Bishop, a lot of times as a way not to live out what Christ has taught us. And yes. And one of the things that I have always, what really drew me into a deeper faith over the years, um, because I didn't grow up in the church, I didn't have any um, real framework. I had I had bouts of time in the church as I became a teenager, but um, what really kind of drew me was that as I learned scripture a little better, and as I studied the the New Testament. What I saw was is that um, it was very different than the God that I was kind of taught about indirectly as a child, and that was a God who just was always going to going to beat up all the people in the world who weren't following him or following Jesus. And and what I found as I learned more about the New Testament is that Jesus was tough on the religious people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. He yeah. was tougher on them than he was the the quote unquote sinners, and and I think sometimes that we talk about and get into these these pockets where uh, we have to we even we we even try to to cover it with this what I call veiled grace, where we say that we um, we love the sinner but we hate the sin. Right. Now, right. on the surface, that's that's true, and I understand where that comes from. But, but what I think is that we probably ought to spend some time hating our own sin first before we yeah. <laughs> try to take on other people's sin. And I think that's a problem in the church today. We certainly right. want to uh, teach the truth, and we certainly want to hold Christians accountable to that truth. But we have enough problems keeping ourselves in line. I think, and and I I don't know if you're seeing that around the because you're you're in the you're in the global church, and but I see that locally for sure. James, and and here's what here's what I see happening. And, and you go back to Advent and Christmas. A lot of people miss Jesus' coming. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Zealots, you had the Nazarenes, and they missed him because they were so locked to where they could not see. Uh, and, and I always, and Jesus always said it, those who have eyes to see, let them see. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And I've always thought about this when I thought about things like righteousness. And because, I mean, we should, uh, with the grace of God, again, not on our own, live lives that are holy to God. Yes. Uh, you know, we have to practice uh, piety and social holdings. You can't separate the two. But here's why I think we get into trouble is that when our righteousness turns into self-righteousness and that self-righteousness turns into oppression and that oppression turns into violence. And you're exactly right about, and that's why I think it's so crucial that even when you, before you come to the table of the Lord, Christ makes the invitation. And, and I've been looking at the means of grace through all of this as well. And I think they are important. And when you look at the Eucharist and it goes, Christ our Lord invites to his table all those who love him, all who earnestly seek to live in peace with their neighbor and repent of their sins. And right after he makes that invitation, and we see this invitation coming from somebody like Christ, the only thing we can do is confess. And then once we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and does not leave us there. But I love that part that silence, and then all of a sudden you hear these words, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. 
And you can't get there, like you said. You can't get to that part unless you deal, look, in, look in your own life and in your own heart, in your own mind, and in your own spirit and say, where is it, God, that you need to do some major work in me? And let me be willing to admit that. And let me be willing to confess that and to receive your forgiveness. Because, James, we can't give what we don't have. And if we, if we have not been forgiven by God, how can we forgive others? Yes, absolutely. And you, and you explain the means of grace um, so well, really, really better than I think I've ever heard it explained in some ways. And I've heard you talk about it, and I know that you're, uh, you're also doing some podcasts around that right now. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but the means of grace, you know, when, when, when I say that term, Bishop, I know we have folks who are listening today who, ha- who have no idea what that means, <laughs> the means of grace. Would you help kind of put that yes. in a nutshell for us? What 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 are the means of grace? And and I because I really believe that it's because we don't really practice or understand those means is because it is a big reason we're in the situation we're in right now. Exactly. And and again, I go back to what the word grace itself means. It's, this is the free, unmerited love and forgiveness of God. How do we learn that? We learn it through the sacraments. Uh, which are means of grace uh, that we that we partake of as a community of faith, because it reminds us all we're in the same boat. We're all standing in need of God's grace. My grandmother Gladys used to also say that mercy suits our case, and so grace is like that. So you get it at the table. Uh, we see it in baptism, but also there are other means of grace that we must uh, be about, like scripture reading, prayer, corporate worship. Uh, Sabbath time, all those things are means of grace that God has given us to help us on the journey to encourage, equip, and empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. And so I read Scripture as a means of grace because in the Word of God, it says it is a living Word. So when I'm looking in that, I'm allowing that Word to shape and mold who I am. That's a means of grace when I pray for others, for myself, for the world, for the church, that's a means of grace. Because again, I'm turning away from myself and turning toward God and realizing again that all of this is done by God. Uh, Corporate worship is a means of grace because I'm worshiping. And I know lots of people say, particularly now we've been in COVID, you know, you can't uh, worship live, but And I think that's part of it is that we, even our worship life, we must pay attention to. It's it's impossible uh, to live in this world without being a part of a corporate body that worships Christ, or being a part of a community uh, that worships Christ. It's, It's just, and so when I say means of grace, I'm talking about those things that help encourage, empower, and equip me to be the child of God, to allow Christ to be the center of my life that I could not do on my own. Um, And so that's what I mean by grace, like provenient grace. I mean, before I ever knew Christ, 
that was a grace that went before me. And and I'll say it like this, and I know this is going to sound funny, but my grandma would always say something like this. Well, God, well, I won't say, you know, she reminded me of how God took care of me yeah, and how God went before me through that provenient grace before I ever uh, realized or ever accepted that I was justified by faith and not by my own words, not by my own merits. And every time I do scripture, every time I pray, every time I take the Lord's Supper, every time I perform a baptism, even my own baptism, when I'm in corporate worship, I am reminded that all of this would be impossible uh, without Christ, even the church. I mean, we have to come to grips with the fact that the church is not ours. It belongs to Christ. He gave his life for us. He gave his life uh, for the church and for the world. Absolutely. And and we cannot do this ourselves. No. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. When you really, you know, you go through life a lot of times as a Christ follower and a Christian bishop, but I don't know that uh, we get that sometimes. We we think that we have to defend Jesus, no. and, and Jesus doesn't need. <laughs> I can't no, defend no. myself very well, much less Jesus. He's got he's got this, you know. Yeah, he and, does. And the means of grace is absolutely a way that humbles us and helps mm-hmm. us to go deeper in our own faith. I appreciate you explaining that so well, and and I've been interested in the podcast that you're doing. It's called Grace for the Future, right. and uh, people can find it by going. I know it's on. Apple Podcast, and if you go to kyumc.org, you you could actually find a link to the podcast there. That may be an easy way for some of you to find it. That's www.kyumc.org. And and, uh, I've been very impressed with who you're talking with and how that message has come through in such a beautiful, grace-filled way, Bishop. What are you hoping to achieve through that podcast? This is what I'm hoping to achieve through the podcast, because I try to pick people as we begin this conversation that that don't always think alike. I always try to pick, I'm trying to pick people from, because right now I'm serving both North Carolina and Kentucky and Redbird through the transition that we're in in this limited season. And so I try to pick people uh, who may not think alike uh, and just watch. What I hope happens is that I, I see them, like you said before, find those things that we agree on and to dare to have uh, conversations with somebody who thinks other than than we do. Uh, I try to make sure that that I'm picking people like that because, again, it's called grace for the future for a reason because I think the future has always been in Christ's hands. You know, I, I think that there is a there is a future for the church. Uh, there's a future for those of us who have been called because we were not called. And, and I know this is going to come out sounding funny coming from a bishop because we were not called to an institution. Uh, We were called as a vocation to a story and a narrative that has within it the power to redeem all the world. Yeah. uh, You know, so I'm hoping that podcast does that. It gets people together to even in the conversation at some moment, they will go, aha, you know, I didn't, I didn't even think of that because I've never talked to anybody other than, 
uh, and we call it preaching to the choir. You know, I've never talked to anybody outside of my own thought uh, process. And so we should never be afraid uh, to talk to people who think different than us because if we're centered in Christ, that's our foundation. And so I should be able, not only able, but willing uh, to share this gospel narrative uh, with people other than me. As a matter of fact, that's what it was meant to do. I mean, you know, you watch watch Jesus, woman by the well. He's there. He's not even supposed to be talking to this woman. Uh, And by the time they get through, they're talking about living water. And he's telling her, I am that one. You know, that never would have happened if he would have just got there, saw this woman, say, oh, oops, I can't be talking to her. Uh, But he talks to her. And it's and it seems like and it feels to me when I'm reading that story that his whole being is saying, here is a woman. Who, if she drinks this living water, she can be changed. And if she's changed, then she goes back to her village a village where she was afraid to even talk. And now she's sharing this narrative. And yeah. so, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping out of the podcast that we'll learn that the story that we share in the gospel, it's, it's like treasure. I had this little boy in my church. I pastored Soakstone. I pastored an all-white, my first all-white congregation. And I had this little boy. His name was Jacob Daniel. And we had just built a church. And we would walk through the church. And he would look at the fire alarms. And, and he would say, well, there's a treasure. There's a treasure. There's a treasure. And I'm hoping in my mind, I'm hoping this child ain't getting an idea about pulling some of these alarms. <laughs> but then somebody walks down the hall. And he points at the person. And he says, there's a treasure. Yeah, absolutely. And if we can just keep that in mind, um, God will do the rest, Bishop. That's, oh, yeah. that's so true. And, and as you're explaining the podcast, the way you're explaining what you're trying to do right now, because I do think it's a ministry, it's an additional ministry that you've taken on in Kentucky, this podcast, because it's going to reach a lot of folks. And you're really talking about prevenient grace. You know, I've been journaling a lot over the past couple of years, and one of the things that has hit me is I often thought about prevenient grace as the grace that went before me, before uh-huh. I became a Christian, and it's kind of gotten me to the place where I am now. And 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 so I know that the definition is the grace that goes before us, but I get stuck on the grace that went before us and forget <laughs> that that same prevenient grace is going before me right now. Oh yeah, uh, and and in twenty. 21 about to be 2022 and and so i need to depend on that more and trust in christ and and you know as you know and i'll just i'll just say it because we both know this true there's a real possibility that um folks that we love in kentucky and have been in ministry with for years both in the pew and as clergy there's a real possibility that we may not be doing ministry together in the future if if this thing doesn't really shake out 
Um, and, and what I'm trying to do right now is pray that God will let me see that the provenient grace is already going before us and that I just need to stay in relationship and love and have mercy and, and preach that peace and that grace that, that you're talking about. And, and I just wonder how, how there, there are no doubt some clergy in Kentucky and even some other states, Bishop, who are listening to this podcast today, and I know that there are many people in the pew that are listening to this podcast, um, what's a word as we wind down today that you could give them about what we're facing as a church in the future? Uh, James, and, and <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, we could spend all day on that one, too. But but here's the thing that I will remind clergy and lay people about the season we're in. Susan Beaumont always calls it a liminal season leading when you don't know where you're going. Of course, uh, Todd Bosinger does, Bosinger does canoe in the mountain. What do you do when the canoe doesn't work? Uh, where do you go? Uh, he, here's what I would share with people, and I shared this uh, even when I was a candidate for this office, is that I think that one of the things I will never that I will always believe is that the best years of the church are not behind us. They're in front of us. I think one of the things that I would invite clergy to do in this season is to dig deeper in their calling. Go back. Go back to where you first love the Lord. Go back and find that joy. Go back, even in the season we're in, go back and find those words that says that we are not to grow weary in well-doing. And I would invite the, the laity to continue to pray for your pastors, for your leaders. Uh, and again, my grandma used to say this too, and Pasuli used to say this, prayer changes things. And I mean, who's to say that if we let go, and we end up at general conference. And in our letting go, we've left room for God to speak what God has been trying to speak, but we just couldn't hear it uh, because we've been living in fear. We've been living in anxiety. We've been allowing the uncertainty to get us. Uh, and, and, and I know people will say, well, Bishop, that just sounds so naive. But it's the simple, childlike faith in the Lord of the church. James, in my own personal life, I've known what it's been like to have nothing. And now I'm in this position. God has blessed me. And I'm almost to the point to say with Paul, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am in. And... But I know that if Christ was ever taken from me, if I could not live in the hope that is Christ Jesus, you know, I'd be lost. Yes. But because I find my courage, my strength in him, my hope in him, then somehow I know beyond all we can come up with and all we can say and all we can do, that the creator of the universe does God's best work in the middle of chaos.
and that light will come out of darkness. That's my hope. And that's the hope that I would ask our clergy and our laity uh, to have. And that's so beautiful, and it's not naive at all. That's what you just stated is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Leonard Fairley, I am so thankful that you are bishop in the Kentucky Annual Conference for such a time as this, and I appreciate your time with me today. And I thank you for sharing that because I was a pastor long before I became a bishop. I, <laughs> I hope I never were. <laughs> I hope I never lose that either. You've got a great pastor's heart. And again, Bishop Fairley's podcast is Grace for the Future. And I would encourage you to subscribe to that podcast. And if you're interested more in the uh, means of grace, you've heard uh, the bishop and, and and I talk about the means of grace today, and uh, you'll you'll get a real taste for what the means of grace are and how you can really understand that in your own personal life. Well, Bishop, thank you for joining us on Live It Out today. It's been a real honor and a pleasure. Well, thank you, James. Likewise, continue to lead, and to all you out there listening, continue. Uh, don't jump off the ship. Stay on the ship. Follow Christ. It'll be okay. Absolutely. And again, thank you for listening today. God bless you. Keep praying and keep the faith. Live It Out, Faith and the 21st Century is a production of Centenary Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Join Lead Pastor James Williams each week as we engage Christian leaders around the world. Be sure to subscribe today and leave a review of our podcast. To connect with us further, visit our website at lexchurch.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to joining you next week. Until then, love one another and live it out.